A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to France Selects, a special World Review podcast series on the French election from the New Statesman. I'm Ido Volk, Europe correspondent at The New Statesman. Over the next two months, I'll be joined by some of the sharpest observers of French politics, delving deep into the big issues shaping the race to lead the EU's biggest military power and its second largest economy. This week, I'm joined by Agnès Poirier and Catherine Fieschi to talk about the right. From the competition between Éric Zemmour and Marine Le Pen, there's a reason why there's space for Zemmour, and that is that she's she has mainstreamed and she's left her hard right flank much more exposed. And somebody came up and basically went for these voters who think that she's not so much mainstreamed, but that she's gone soft. To the plight of Valérie Pécresse's centre-right. It feels sometimes that she's not her own woman, her own uh, candidate, that she is completely posted or, or almost a prisoner of the Republican Party, and that she's also very badly advised. For 10 years, our governments have damaged France. We are at a crossroads. For the first time, the fate of the world could be written without us. In 10 years, will we still be the seventh global power? Will we still be a sovereign nation or an auxiliary of the US or a vassal of China? Will we be a united or a fractured nation? In the face of these vital questions, no fatalism regarding the great decline nor the great replacement. In a campaign speech in February, Valérie Pécresse, the centre-right Republican candidate for president of France, made a pointed reference to the Great Replacement conspiracy theory beloved of her rival to the far-right Éric Zemmour. The Great Replacement holds that the indigenous white population of France is being intentionally replaced by non-white people from the Middle East and Africa. It's a theory which even Marine Le Pen, who, until Zemmour had headed the far-right of French politics for over a decade, doesn't feel comfortable explicitly referencing. That Pécresse felt the need to endorse the Great Replacement illustrates the bind in which the centre-right finds itself under President Emmanuel Macron. Since his election in 2017, Macron has shifted to the right on issues of immigration and identity as well as pushing doggedly economically liberal policies. We must attack Islamist separatism. It is a project which is conscious, theorised, politico-religious, which concretely results in repeated divergences with the values of a republic, translated often by the creation of a counter-society, manifested in the removal from the educational system of children, the development of communalized practices in sports and culture, which have a pretext for the teaching of principles which do not conform with the laws of a republic. That has complicated the position of the traditional centre-right this campaign. 
Many voters on the moderate centre-right look at Macron and think he offers much of what they want on economic and social issues. The president has accordingly benefited from some high-profile defections in recent weeks, such as that of Éric Wörth, a minister under the last centre-right president, Nicolas Sarkozy. That may have pushed Pécresse to seek voters further to the right, both in the first round and because she will need some of them if she hopes to win a potential runoff against Macron. But that she will even get to the second round remains highly uncertain. Pécresse is vying for second place in the polls with Le Pen and Zemmour, two rivals to her right. Zemmour, an anti-immigration and anti-Islam polemicist who openly reasons in racial terms, has recently inched up in the polls to second, potentially putting him through to the second round. In doing so, he may dethrone Le Pen as the undisputed leader of the far-right in French politics. La démarche d'Éric Zemmour est une démarche... Éric Zemmour's approach is a communalised approach in the sense that he presents himself as the defender of, in reality, the Catholic community. I have said that I do not believe in this. I believe that the only community which exists is the national community, and thus the national community must be defended. We must not fight one form of communalism by saying we must defend the villages of Asterix. I believe that this siege mentality contradicts the French spirit. To discuss the right, far right, and how Macron has governed, I'm delighted to be joined by Agnès Poirier, a journalist and the author of Left Bank, and Catherine Fieschi, the director of Counterpoint. We're recording this the morning after... Vladimir Putin has ordered Russian troops into what he now recognizes as the independent republics in eastern Ukraine, although very few of the international community will join him on that. We'll get to the main discussion in a bit. But before we do, I thought we we should just start off by talking about the situation in Ukraine and how it might potentially affect the presidential campaign. We'll do much more talking on, on the main World Review podcast about the significance for Ukraine in and of itself, but particularly with with regards to France, Macron has attempted to position himself as a mediator between between NATO, between Putin as a, as an interlocutor with Putin. And only two weeks ago, he was saying Putin had guaranteed him that he would not be the one to escalate the situation. And now we've very much seen that was completely hollow. So, how, how do we think this will? affects the the, cam- the campaign for president. Agnes, do you want to go first? So the interesting thing about Emmanuel Macron is that he's doing what should be done, but which will probably most likely fail, and yet somebody has to do what he's doing. And whether there is a presidential election or not, I think his actions would be the same. That is to say, he is presiding over the Council of the European Union for six months. And at the beginning, a few weeks ago, remember, it was only Biden versus Putin, and Europe was nowhere to be seen. There was no voice for Europe in the Ukrainian crisis, and he just wanted to give a voice to Europe. And, you know, he's got everything to lose, basically, because we all know 
what Putin is like. And he really, some people have talked about him being Chamberlain when he rushed to Moscow and was seated at that very long table and then going to Zelensky. And then again, over the weekend, trying to get Biden across the table and it looks very unlikely it's going to happen. But you have to uh, admire a guy who's got everything to lose and still is giving a chance to diplomacy until uh, the last minute. But I think the French can see that he's willing, he's quite brave in that sense, he's just willing to spend his night and days on this and risk it for the sake of diplomacy. Catherine, do you agree? Do you think he'll get credit for this, even though he failed, or he seemed like he was too lofty and too ambitious? I, I would. Ag- I think I would agree with Agnès on this. I think to, to some extent, I'm not entirely sure that this will stick to him as any kind of failure, because, you know, most of the world has made up their mind about Vladimir Putin. They knew that this was a mission that, that was a, a difficult one, possibly a mission impossible. But I think two things. One is that, A, because he's got the presidency of the European Union, but also because my Macron has really staked a lot on his being a, a statesman and giving, as Zania said, a, a voice to Europe. I think that he's done he's done everything he could with that in a high stakes game. But also, I think that we have to qualify failure here, which is that because I think that to some extent he needed to do this, not just to be seen to do it, but because given the severity of the sanctions package that the European Union is is preparing and given how hard this will strike European economies and in particular the German economy, I think it really needed to look as though Macron was doing everything he could to the very last minute to avoid having to put this package in place. And if this package does come into place that everything will have been will have been done and the final word on this is that i think that after some difficult months in terms of the transatlantic relationship the franco-american relationships but more broadly the transatlantic relationship with europe i think that is quite repaired and all of these all of this actually i think will go in his favor thanks both we will of course return to this topic over subsequent episodes of this podcast, I'm sure. Now let's get to the main discussion, which is about the right in, in France and the competition among various factions on the right. As you heard in the introduction there, Valérie Pécresse, who is the centre-right candidate for president, gave a speech earlier this month in which she used the words great replacement, which is a reference to a conspiracy theory beloved by, among others, Eric Zemmour. And although she subsequently clarified that she said that she wasn't using it in the Zimorian sense. She did use the words and the actual phrasing was quite ambiguous. And she is certainly clever enough to know what she was referring to. And it, it seems to me that this is quite indicative of the problem with which the of the situation in which the traditional centre finds itself. And yes, if I can start with you, what did you make of Pécresse's comment? It's very interesting that you should refer to Valérie Pécresse as centre or to Les Républicains as centre party. And it's something that you keep reading in the uh, uh, Anglophone press. But it is not the centre right. It is the right. And and indeed, a lot of centre-right, very small parties of movements are not embracing Valérie Pécresse or Les Républicains, are not associating themselves with them. So what we have, Valérie Pécresse is very much in the line of Jacques Chirac and, and François Fillon in, in French terms. This is really the right, firmly on the right. But of course, there's... Uh, 
the far right, and we have now two candidates, and she seems to be pandering to them, uh, because, of course, Les Républicains is a large right party with um, people that are more on her right, and and she's certainly one of the moderates. She seems, it's very interesting to see her, because she's quite a very, she's a competent a woman. She was a minister under Sarkozy. She's the the head of the uh, region of the Ile de France with a massive budget. She is considered as you know a serious, competent right wing uh, politician. Still young, youngish in in her early fifties. She's a woman who at first embraced. She was anti abortion and then she was anti gay marriage, for instance. But since she said, actually, I was wrong, and she she gives an air of competence. At the same time, it looks as, as if she's completely corseted by her party, as if she's almost a puppet. And when she gave uh, a list with the faces of her close campaign staff, it was her and 12 men and not young men. And it, it feels sometimes that she's not a own woman, her own uh, candidate, that she is completely corseted or, or almost a prisoner of Les Républicains Party, and that she's also uh, very badly advised. So it's very, it's a very uncanny sight to see a competent person being held hostage, if you'd like. Hence those very strange development and those references. She says she's against the grand remplacement by Zemmour, but why she's even talking about it. Also, she's not a very good orator, and she puts herself in those very painful spectacle of her trying to be the orator she's not, and the day after she has to say on radio, I'm not an orator, uh, I prefer face-to-face conversations with, with people. So it's it's very difficult to, to fathom, and it's it's quite ominous for the rest of her campaign. It seems to me that part of a big part of Valérie Pécresse's problem is that, look, if you are a voter or even uh, an elected official of some capacity and you are in the moderate centre-right tradition, you want to cut taxes, you support a generally liberal economy, you support a fairly hard line on security issues, but not really far-right. Look, you have a very good candidate. You have Emmanuel Macron, who is pretty liberal in economics, whose line on on security, on immigration, on on identity issues is firm, but not not ex- is not perceived as extreme in the way that uh, the far right is. And he's in power, and he is by far the leading candidate for this election. And so if you want to back someone the person who is surest to victory and who is most likely to give you most of what you want, you can go for Emmanuel Macron if you are that kind of relatively moderate voter or official on on the centre-right. And Pécresse has a difficult time differentiating herself from that. How do you think Macron's record is affecting this campaign, particularly on the centre-right? So I think that you make a very good point. And um, Valérie Pécresse really has a very narrow pathway because she's got Zemmour and Le Pen to her hard right. And and actually on the center right, she's got Emmanuel Macron, who I don't think, you know, can be folded in quite neatly into center right, partly because I think he's the first one in a long time to actually have a little bit of liberalism about him because he, in many respects, he's a social liberal. But I think, yeah, she has a very narrow band. And it's important, I think, to go back 
to how she got to where she is, which is the primaries and her own camp as she was competing to be selected as candidate. The main accusation was that she was too Macron compatible. She'd been not vocal enough against him. So what we saw in the primaries is her Essentially, she spent her time attacking Macron's record, particularly attacking Macron's spending record in the context of the pandemic. And she started tacking to the right. And she tacked even further to the right because in the second round of the primary, of the Républicain primary, she was faced with unexpectedly a very right-wing candidate in Éric Ciotti. So everything, the French political landscape, the presence of Macron, the presence of Le Pen and Zemmour, and then the person against whom she had to go up against in her own primaries essentially gave her a very niche place. And I think, you know, in that respect, I think she probably is center-right, but she can't run as center-right. So she is being, you know, extremely, extremely right-wing and extremely, I would say, baiting of those voters on the hard right. And I would just say one one thing here on her use of the grand remplacement. First of all, what a terrible idea to even, you know, utter the words, right? It's, it's that thing about saying, it reminded me of Nixon's, I am not a crook. He was done in, right, for just simply uttering the words. And I think she was done in simply for uttering the words. So yes, she is extremely badly advised. But I think that even going beyond that grand remplacement phrase, the phrase that really struck me was she referred at one point to the people who are French on paper, but not French in their hearts. And this, it was extraordinary. It was essentially a direct quote, channeling three generations of Le Pen. Jean-Marie Le Pen used this kind of language. His daughter Marine Le Pen uses this kind of language. Les Français de papier. Marion Maréchal Le Pen uses this kind of language. I was surprised that no one else picked up on it. So it wasn't just a slip up, this grand remplacement thing. You know, there really is an appeal in there which I actually think is mistaken for the hard right. And I think that's partly the conclusion that has been drawn by her campaign team, that the people that she needs to go for are not just potentially some of Le Pen's supporters, but also some of Zemmour's supporters. And there's a reason there because, and we can discuss this uh, later on, but these are two, two very different groups of people with very different socioeconomic backgrounds and so on. But she was also, she is also trying really to appeal to all of the, all of the voters who feel that they were betrayed in 2017 because their candidate, François Fillon, a real conservative, a real hardline conservative, was basically booted out of the race through scandals. So I think she's tacking to the right for a lot of different reasons. It's a mistake because I think she's alienating a great part of the mainstream center-right who basically are making up their minds and saying, as, as you said, my vote goes to Macron. If you're enjoying France Elects, you might want to consider subscribing. We have a special offer for podcast listeners, 12 weeks for £12 or €12 Euros in Europe. Just go to newstatesman.com slash podcast offer and you can read all our international coverage at newstatesman.com slash international. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? 
Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Let's move on to the far right. It seems to me that one of the interesting aspects of the kind of unofficial primary of the far right between Zemmour and Le Pen, who are both on roughly about 15% now, and they're both jockeying for second place with Pécresse for a chance to make it to the runoff on current polls. One of the interesting things about Zemmour is that the positions he espouses are so much more extreme than Le Pen's. He endorses the Great Replacement conspiracy theory, which I, I had one journalist from Liberation say is, is flat earth for people who don't like immigration. Like, it's bonkers. It's, there's, there's no basis in it. There's no grounding in reality whatsoever. He wants immigration to be absolutely zero. He talks about remigration, sending people who are quote-unquote not, not indigenous French people back to their supposed countries of origin. And yet... People on the centre-right, in many ways, are much more comfortable with him than they are with Le Pen. And, and Le Pen has spent over a decade since she became party leader of the National Front, now the National Rally, attempting to detoxify her image, present herself as an acceptable part of the political mainstream, as what in France is called a Republican candidate, i.e. an acceptable candidate, a, a, a candidate like any other. And we've seen this for, for a very long time. And I've seen some speculation, some talk of it being because people know, know Zemmour. Zemmour was a polemicist. He was a debater. These people have met with him. They've had dinners with him. And so they, they have much more difficulty separating themselves from him, even though objectively the ideas he presents are so much more extreme. So I'm wondering what you make of this. Is there a kind of porosity between Zimbabwe's support and the support of the traditional centre-right in a way that there isn't for the national rally and for Le Pen? And yes, do you, do you want to take that on? So I'm not sure Zemmour is more respectable to some of the centre-right Parisians simply because they have dinner together. It seems to me I'm a Parisian. I've never had dinner with Zemmour. Although he's been in the, of course, he's been a polemicist, but even before that, I remember him as just a dandy columnist for Le Figaro and he, he should have never been... Um, 
become anything else, really. And it was at the time, perhaps 20, 25 years ago, when he was quite an eccentric, but certainly not that the creature he's become. Zimor is, is as unpalatable and as his ideas are as vowel as Le Pen. But depends, of course, what Le Pen member you're talking about, because Le Pen father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, and Eric Zemmour are really siami cats. They are exactly the same. Now, Marine Le Pen, in comparison, of course, with Zemmour, appears much more respectable in the sense that she's uh, she holds much if if it is possible uh, much more liberal views certainly on society and on uh, on women for instance it's interesting to see that when you look at the polls eric zemmour is really not popular with women uh, and this is when actually to go back to what we were talking about valerie pécresse marine le pen and valerie pécresse i think are trying to appeal uh, to women who might be tempted to vote for eric zemmour there's certainly a possibility for them to to get a lot of votes. Now, what is extraordinary is uh, that when you look at the heart or the far right in France, uh, it's now 30% of the polls, and it's not something uh, I thought I would ever see. And it is because at the moment, you know, we still don't know whether they will get their 500 supports. That's the, the way the the French system works. Every candidate needs to have the 500 letters of support from elected people in France. And it is paramount, of course, that they receive, even Zemmour received, because it, if he's not allowed to run in the presidency, it will be seen as a sort of plot against him. And perhaps we can reform that system, which is uh, problematic more and more. To reply to your question, Ida, I don't think Zemmour looks more respectable for the centre-right than, than Le Pen. The way he distorts history and historical facts is something that Marine Le Pen would have never dreamed of doing. For instance, the French on the whole know their history, and when you tell them that Marshal Pétain was protecting French Jews, they all know it's a lie. When you tell them that Captain Dreyfus, of all men, was perhaps slightly guilty, the French are just rolling their eyes. We'll see, because there's one thing the French tell pollsters about what they're uh, going to vote on the first round and what they do, because there's a tendency to use the hard right and the hard left, especially on the first round, just to vent an anger. And perhaps we can talk about where that anger comes from. And it will be very interesting to see uh, whether what they tell pollsters is actually what they are going to do on the 10th of April. Catherine, Lupin has been leader of the national front and a national rally for over a decade and for most of that time until Eric Zemmour she was she was the undisputed leader of the French far right but it, it's widely accepted that this will be her last campaign her last presidential campaign if as expected we get a, a second round with Macron against one of most likely because Zemmour or Le Pen and probably Macron wins. What do you think happens to the three parties of the right, the three factions of the right represented by Zemmour, Le Pen and, and Pécresse? So I think this is, it's a, it's a really good question. And <clears throat> one of the ways in which this gets answered is, first of all, on the status of, of Marine Le Pen, to which you've just alluded. The fact is that, yes, she's been the undisputed leader of, I don't know if it's the the, the the far right or the populist right. And the reason I make this distinction is that 
I think since she took over the party in 2011, Marine Le Pen has tried very hard to mainstream both her party and her image. And this was not an uncontroversial decision in, in the party. And I think that up until 2017, she carried it because she could point to electoral gains and to a measure of success. I think 2017, even though she made it into the second round, I think her competence and her political calculations were then really called into question by her own camp. And and I think since then, the party and the voters have begrudgingly accepted that she gets another go, but she is on what the French would call an ejectable seat. And so I think that this is the, the first thing, which is that she's there's a reason why there's space for Zemmour, and that is that she's she has mainstreamed and she's left her hard right flank much more exposed. And somebody came up and basically went for these voters who think that she's not so much mainstream, but that she's gone soft. So the people who would look more to a Jean-Marie Le Pen figure rather than a Marine Le Pen figure. I think it's also important that in terms of the relationship between her populist right and his, uh, Zemmour's much more further to the right, I think what's interesting is that there there are really different types of voters. It's not just that it's the Jean-Marie Le Pen nostalgics who rally to Zemmour. I don't think that he's perceived as more respectable, but he does, for example, not do well at all with the popular classes, doesn't do well with lower income voters. He doesn't do well with what one might call lower middle class voters, whereas Marine Le Pen does. So he's not more respectable, but he's got that veneer of intellectuality, even though it's all lies, that I think appeals to a a, a part of the, the, the French electorate. But I think coming out of this election, we're going to see a number of things. One is there's going to be a fight inside the Rassemblement National, inside Marine Le Pen's party, and who is going to take over. Her niece is waiting in the wings, I think, to recast uh, this party. She's young, she's much further to the right, and yet she looks respectable, even though she doesn't sound respectable. And I think that she's a potential contender. There's going to be a shakeup in, in, in the party. I think Les Républicains are going to come, I think, with their reckoning. They have been limping along since 2017 but they weren't they weren't completely wiped out and they've tried different leaders at different elections and they've tried going further into the conservative camp trying to capture that old fillon super conservative vote they're going to have to do the maths and and figure out that's not working and i think that as for zemmour i don't think the question is his party or not his party i think the fact is that it's going to be very hard, if you like, to put the, the toothpaste back in the tube. He has unleashed something. And yes, is right to point out that now if you taught, if you taught it up, you get 30% uh, of people who are of voters who express sympathies. Whether or not they then cast their votes is absolutely another question. But I think if not Zemmour, then that that malaise that he's captured and that anger that he's captured, I think that's not just going to evaporate. And the last thing I would say is that it's going to be a very interesting five years between 2022 and the next election in 2027, in part because there are very few 
elections. There are very few contests. There is just the European elections. So it's going to be a time for parties um, to regroup. And we're talking about the right and they need to regroup. The left is in even worse condition to some extent, right? I mean, in worse condition because they're not even polling particularly well. And I think that those five years are going to see a, a kind of generational renewal. Marine Le Pen won't run again. I, I doubt that a number of these heavyweights in Les Républicains will run again. I think that the next five years are going to see a major recomposition, but I don't think the ideas are going to go away. And that's a appropriately forward-looking note on which to end. Thank you both very much for your time. That's it for this episode of France Alliance. Join us in two weeks' time for a discussion on the climate and the campaign, where we'll talk green politics in France and Europe. Our producer has been Adrian Bradley. Thanks for listening, and until next time. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together, we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.